Father, we are grateful that you bring us together each week. We're grateful that you're guiding us through um, just some really weird times. We pray that you continue to keep our friends and family healthy, that you would get us through when we're not. We pray that you would comfort those uh, who have lost those that they love. We pray that you would just always continue to guide your church so that we could be your hands and feet, we could be your voice, that we could be a source of comfort and hope um, as the world around us uh, just seems to be a bit of a mess. So pray this morning that as your scriptures read, as the gospel is proclaimed, because that's what we're here to do, I pray that our minds would be open, that our eyes, our ears, our hearts would be open as well. That this word would not just become information, but that it would become transformative. Part of our DNA would change who we are from the inside out and that we'd be able to respond faithfully, trusting you and being obedient to what you've called us to do. So we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, so uh, healthy boundaries um, in relationships are are good things, right? Um, Last week, you all said this with me, that we are beautiful, but we are also what? We are a mess. If you weren't here last week, we admitted that we are all a mess, but that God thinks we're beautiful anyway. But yeah, we are a mess. I mean, uh, you know, without healthy boundaries, I mean, we just might not be friends at all, (laughs) right? So... They could be really good things. As some relationships grow and mature over time, then those boundaries that we set up, they they begin to break down, and that is a beautiful, good thing. It's natural as we offer more and more of ourselves to each other. When that happens, close friends uh, become family, not family by blood, but family by choice. Romantic relationships, they start with good, healthy boundaries. Teenagers, did you hear that? Romantic relationships start with good, healthy boundaries. Say that with me. Romantic relationships start with good, healthy boundaries. Okay, good, all right. But as time goes on, those walls, they begin to come down as we give more and more of ourselves to the other person. We start by sharing meals and time and interest. But if those relationships develop into real commitment, into the covenant of marriage, then we share walls We don't build them between us. We share our stuff, our expenses. We share it all, our whole selves, our body, our soul, everything that we have, everything that we are. So the question that we need to wrestle with today, what boundaries are we setting up in our relationship with God? What kind of relationship do we want with God? How deep do we want it to go? Is our relationship with God meant to be one where we are building walls and setting boundaries or are we supposed to be breaking down boundaries? What does scripture say God wants? How much of you does he want? Does he just want 10% of you? No, he wants all of you. He wants your body, your mind, your heart, and your soul. See, being a disciple of Jesus, it is this ongoing process of breaking down boundaries, of giving over more and more of our lives to the one who created us, to the one who loves us, not because of anything that we have done. You hear me say this all the time. He doesn't love you because of anything you have done. He loves you simply because he loves you. The problem is, is he wants more and more of us. That's typically more than we are willing to give. But I don't think it's irrational of him to ask it of us. I mean, think about it. Like who most fully understands 
how creation is designed to work? The one who created it or the ones who were created? Who is the one who has the best plans? Who is the one who knows how to guide us through this life that he made? Who is the one that knows how this life is meant to be lived? So this morning, I want to read you two stories. Now, two separate passages. These stories, in some ways, are like the exact opposite. In other ways, they're exactly the same. Um, and I will prepare you. Uh, we're in the middle of talking about stewardship. This is our partnership with God. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about being partners with God as we take care of everything that God has made. Being partners with God as we use the gifts and talents that God has given us. Next week, we're going to talk about how we can give our time as another way that we partner with God. But today, it's what about my stuff? If you're a visitor, if this is your first time, you came on Money Sunday. I'm really sorry. We just thought putting a sign outside that said no visitors would not be very welcoming. So, uh, but hopefully we can do this in a good way. Uh, the first story. The uh, first story comes from the Old Testament. Um, this uh, takes place near the end of King David's life. Um, King David wants to build a temple for God. At that point, all they had was a, t- a tabernacle, a temporary space. He wanted to build a temple for God, but God wouldn't let him because David really was a man of war. And he says, a man of war cannot build my temple. So David decides that he's gonna contribute in another way so that his son Solomon can build the temple for God. So this comes from 1 Chronicles 29. Um, Pew Bibles, if you brought your own Bible, if you have a device, it's gonna be quicker. I'm not gonna try to guide you to it. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, Use the table of constants and you can figure it out. 1 Chronicles 29. I'm gonna read verses three through seven and then I'm gonna read verse nine also. Uh, So David is talking to the people of Israel and he says this, he says, because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving all of my private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. And this is in addition to the building materials that I've already collected for his holy temple. I am donating more than 112 tons of gold from Ophir and 262 tons of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the buildings and for the other gold and silver work to be done by craftsmen. Now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? So then the family leaders, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals and the captains of the army and the king's administrative officers all gave willingly. For the construction of the temple of God, they gave about 188 tons of gold. 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, and 3,750 tons of iron. The people rejoiced over the offerings for they had freely given wholeheartedly to the Lord. And King David was filled with joy. This is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. So you wanna do a little math? Uh, Some translations, your translation might say that David gave 3,000 talents of gold, but anybody know what a talent is? I didn't think so. Okay, so, or maybe. uh, One talent is effectively 10 years of wages for an average person. So one talent is what the average person would have made in 10 years. So 3,000 talents, the translation I read says, is equivalent to 112 tons of gold. One ton of gold is roughly 35,000 ounces. That means 112 tons of gold is about 3.9 million ounces. An ounce of gold today 
is worth over $1,800. So do the math. (laughs) And look, it's really hard uh, to take value from the ancient world and to equate it today. So I understand that. But a fair, actually a low estimate of what David gave to build the temple in Jerusalem, it's over $7 billion. Billion with a B. And that's just the gold. Then it says the people, they follow his example and they donate even more. They essentially give a significant portion of the entire budget of the nation of Israel to this one project. Y'all, this wasn't just an investment. This is sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. So why? Why sacrifice so much? Why, Why commit so much wealth and stuff all to one place, to a building? It didn't cost nearly that much to build it. David's contribution, it covered the construction. The rest of that money was just used as an endowment to keep the temple running after it was finally built. So why sacrifice and invest so much? Like, it seems a little extravagant. Like maybe that money could have been used for other purposes. You see, the temple of God in Jerusalem, it was was a place where scripture was read. It was a place where they studied God's word. It was a place where people came to worship, to offer God their praise, to offer their prayers. They made their offering, they gave their gifts. It was also the place where the poor came to be cared for, where people who had need could come for help. It was a center of education. It was the place where the priests would offer sacrifice to cover the sins of the people. And all of that is, of course, very important. But that's not the most important reason that the people gave so much. There's another reason that David gave so extravagantly, another reason that the people went above and beyond to keep that place running for generations to come. Because it was the place on earth where God was present. See, in the Old Testament, God's glory rested on the Ark of the Covenant. And that Ark was housed inside the Holy of Holies, which is at the heart, the center of the temple. King David, his only goal in life, his only goal in life was to bring God's presence to God's people. And he literally gave everything that he had so that God's people could be in the presence of God once again, so the relationship could be restored, so that the relationship then could grow, so that the boundaries between God and God's people could be torn down. You see, giving the stewardship of our stuff, y'all, it's never been about the stuff. It's always about the relationship. The real question is how much of him do you want? And how much of yourself are you willing to give? So that's one story. I wanna look ahead about a thousand years to the Gospel of Mark. And here we find someone who's at the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to wealth and stuff and status in society. So this is from Mark chapter 12, 41 through 44. It says that Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. (laughs) That verse cracks me up. I looked online to try to find like old artwork that might depict that, but there isn't any. So all I want you to do is I want you to think about that as you walk out today. Where was Jesus sitting? Right by the offering plate, (laughs) right by the door. You know, just keep it in mind, that's all I'm saying. Uh, It says many people 
uh, put in large amounts. And then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. And Jesus called his disciples to him and he said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions for they gave a tiny part out of their surplus. But she, as poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Now listen, before we say anything else, I wanna be really clear about something. Um, I am offended and outraged when I hear TV preachers, pastors online, pastors in pulpits around the world telling poor old widows or anybody else that they need to empty their bank accounts and give all their money to that ministry. And that's not a caricature that really happens. I've heard it myself. They'll even go above that. Give more than you have in your account. Don't you trust God to fill that account back up again? Don't you trust God to take care of all your needs? Give more than you have. I've heard it. It's an outrage. Like, do you, you know how God provides for the needs of widows and the orphans and the poor? Not by miraculously filling up their bank accounts. He does it through the church. So you have some people using this passage to take money from the very people that they are called to serve. And that's abusive. Like it's no different than all the email scams that we're trying to avoid each and every day. The gospels don't advocate abuse. It advocates care for those in need. And Jesus has strong words for people who take advantage of others. So that's not what the story is teaching. What the story is doing is giving us a reflection. It's a retelling of the story that we already read about King David. Jesus is telling the story of a king and a widow. Two people that exist on the opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to wealth and treasure, when it comes to their status in this society. But Jesus says they are equals in their commitment and devotion to God. Because they both removed one of the most challenging boundaries in our relationship with God, the most difficult wall to tear down. The wall that separates our savior from our stuff. So this woman, she's standing in the presence of Jesus and she gives all that she had. When you look at these two stories together, something is really clear. It is not about the amount. It's about the surrender. What she was willing to surrender in response to the trusting covenant relationship that God had offered her through Jesus. How much of him did she want? And how much was she willing to give in return? You see, for many of us, like the most sensitive, most difficult conversation that we can have is this conversation about money. Y'all, it doesn't have to be. This doesn't have to be about guilt. It shouldn't be. Because we know one thing for sure. We know that what God wants is you. He wants all of you. And he wants all of you. The question is, what do you want? What do you want and what are you willing to give? And can you give him, can you trust him with the things that you value the most? Because you see, giving to God is not about your wallet. It's about your heart. The truth is, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you have received from him the gift of salvation, if you have hope in this life, if you have the promise of life to come, if you come forward in worship and if you take the bread and the cup, then you are called to give. You are called to give as a response to all that you have been given. And you're not called to give just to keep the lights on in this building. 
You're not called to give just so that we can keep the ministries up and running. You're called to give as an act of discipleship, as a way of knowing where your heart is and your relationship with God. To give so that you can gauge how much of him you want to receive and how much of yourself you're willing to give in return. You're called to give so that you know where the walls in that relationship are so that you can identify the boundaries that you have set up and you are called to give so that you can begin to tear those walls down brick by brick, one by one. You're called to give so that the stuff that you own never totally controls who you are. You're called to give so that the stuff you own doesn't own you. You see, giving to God is not primarily about philanthropy. It's not even about generosity. Y'all, I'm telling you, giving is about discipleship. It's about surrender, it's about trust, and it's about obedience. That's why we give. Now, the good news is that God honors your giving, and he does it in really practical ways. He uses it, he transforms it, and uses it for his kingdom purposes here, in and through the church around the world. And then we as staff and the leaders of the church, we're called to use it responsibly and to be completely transparent in the way those gifts are managed and put to use. Our system, it not only allows for responsible and transparent use of those gifts, y'all, it demands it. This is the reason that I'm Presbyterian. I grew up in a church that was led by one person who honestly could probably have gotten away with whatever he wanted. I'm not saying he did. I'm just, the system would have allowed it. No human system or institution is infallible. Every one of them is subject to error or even abuse. But our system, it demands accountability. It's designed to root out and reform any misuse or abuse of the gifts that you have given from your heart as a sign of your discipleship. We are not perfect, but we are accountable. And God takes those gifts and transforms them for his use. You see, the stewardship of our stuff, the things that we value, we call it our treasure, it takes trust, it takes commitment, and it is absolutely a sacrifice. And there is one fundamental truth about following Jesus that's hard to hear, but I'm telling you it is fundamentally true. You cannot be in a relationship with Jesus without sacrifice. You can't. And we know this. There's no relationship that works without sacrifice, right? Every relationship requires sacrifice. Your friendships require sacrifice. Your work relationships require sacrifice. Parenting demands sacrifice. Marriage and intimacy demands sacrifice. And they are all just a shadow of the kind of relationship that God wants with us. When we get married, what do we give to each other? We give symbols, we give these signs to one another of our commitment. And oftentimes those are rings and they come at a great cost. And there's a reason for that. Because commitment comes with a cost. It's a sacrifice. If you're committing yourself to God, it's your relationship with him, it is between you and him. But it's important to ask, what do you bring as a sign of that commitment that you have made? You cannot follow Jesus without sacrifice. Our, our entire faith, it doesn't rest on the work done by pastors and priests. 
It doesn't rest on our prayers. It doesn't rest on our worship. And it doesn't rest on the money we give. Our entire faith rests on the sacrifice that was made first on our behalf. That he not only left behind his throne to be with us, he came to die as one of us. To give his life so that we can have the hope and promise of eternal peace. That he was raised from the dead, he walked out of the tomb, sealing that promise once and for all. Do you remember why did King David give everything he had so the temple could be built? Was it for the ministries and the programs? No. It was so his people could be nearer to the glory of God. Jesus completed that work. And God is not present now in some room hovering over some ark that's locked away for only the priest to access. He is now present and available with and within every one of us, now and forever. And it was a sacrifice that made that possible. But here's the turn in the story. Jesus' sacrifice is transformed into a gift. The cross doesn't end on the cross, it ends with an empty tomb. And in the same way, our sacrifices, they are honored by him and they are transformed into gifts that are used for the benefit of others. And look, I'm reflecting recently that we here at First Pres, like we need to tell these stories better. We need to do a better job throughout the year of telling you exactly what God is doing here. Yes, the past two years have been just insane. But I'm telling you, I've seen God do more in the past two years than I've seen in years before. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. God is still active and at work and we need to do a better job of telling those individual stories that are happening here at the church. In February, you're gonna hear uh, one of those stories each week. You're gonna hear about how God has transformed the lives of people in this church, people who are part of this church family. And we're gonna keep working throughout the year to tell those stories better. And we're gonna do that because you need to know that your sacrifice is transformed by God into a gift that brings people into the presence of God. A presence no longer found again inside a building, but now it's found deep in the heart of every follower of Jesus. Your sacrifice brings people into a loving and saving relationship with Jesus, and God is doing that here. You need to know that your sacrifice is transformed into a gift that not only enables us to worship, but to meet, to equip one another, to build each other up so that we can work out those muscles, develop those skills, the skills that we, we need to go out into the world and do the work that God's called us to do. Your sacrifice is transformed by God into gifts that bless those who are in need. And definitely over the past two years, there has been a lot of need. People who are suffering and sick and hungry, losing their jobs, they need bills paid. Your sacrifice is transformed into gifts for the benefit of others. And God is doing all this through you. And we need to tell these stories. And I'm telling you that even over these last couple really weird years, even as everything is different, I really believe that God is using this time to put things in place so that through us, he can do even more. I'm confident it's gonna look a lot different than it did in the past. But that doesn't mean it's not gonna be good. That doesn't mean God's not gonna be at work. How much more do you think he can do? Like how much more do you think he can do through this church and this community and around the world? How much more of him do you want? 
And how much are we willing to give? Now listen, if, if, if you're not sure like where you stand with Jesus, there are people in this room I know who are not sure, not sure who he is, whether any of this that we talk about on Sundays is true. If that's where you are, then this is not a sacrifice that's being asked of you. There's an order to this. Christ made the sacrifice first on your behalf. Once you've accepted that gift, then you can respond with your own. Christ's work always precedes ours. So there is no pressure or expectation. There's not even an ask to give until you have received the gift of salvation and hope that you can find in Jesus. And maybe some of you are skeptical of churches and institutions, and I totally get it. Then just ask. We are happy to show you how things work, how this system works before you give. For those of you that are followers of Jesus, for those of you that have accepted that gift of salvation, you're committing yourselves to the mission here on earth through the church. Y'all, if that's you, then giving is not just encouraged, it's expected of everyone. Your gifts, your talents, your time, and the stuff that you value and treasure. If you are a disciple of Jesus, but you don't have a regular habit of giving, it's time to start. The widow gave two cents. It's a good start. But you see, your willingness to freely and sacrificially give, it is a sign. It's a way for you to know where you stand in your relationship with God, where your heart is. It's a way for you to measure who has your heart more, your God or your stuff. It's a way for you to recognize which is true. For those of you that do give regularly, I just invite you to take whatever the next right step is so that you can be closer to him, to trust him more, to trust him with more. It doesn't have to be on the level of King David, right? You can just give like a billion, it's fine. The range here is pretty wide and it's pretty clear. Two cents to seven billion. And none of that is the point. The point is the percentage of this that he has captivated and that you are willing to give him. How much of this are you offering in return for what he has already given you? Now, this is always a hard conversation, um, but I'm telling you it's not about guilt. It is about discipleship. It's about your heart, about your relationship with God. That's it. But it is a conversation that matters. It's one we have to have. Because the creator of the universe has decided that his relationship with you, it matters. It matters to him. The creator of the universe believes that you matter and he wants all of you. No boundaries, no walls, nothing off limits. The amazing thing is that he will receive you one step at a time. That all he is asking you to do is to take that next right step, whatever it is. In the Hebrew Bible, uh, the word for repentance, which is an important step, the word for repentance is just the word to turn around. I've told you that before. It's the word shuv. But here's what's interesting. It doesn't mean to turn around. <laughs> You're just going in the right, same direction, right? It actually doesn't even mean just to turn around. 
It means to turn around. Hebrew is a pictorial language. And this is what that word means. From the moment I've received Christ until the moment that he calls me home, my job is just to keep turning. That's it. So what is the next turn for you? Amen? Still friends? Let's pray. God, I'm grateful, uh, grateful for a family that can have hard conversations. I'm grateful that you invite us. I mean, the truth is you created everything, so like you don't need us <laughs> to do what you wanna do, um, but you've chosen to invite us to be a part of it, and that's incredible. Um, so I pray that you would just help us to recognize that and see it. Pray that we would be bold enough to like claim it, own it, be a part of it. That you'd help us to see clearly where the gifts that you have given us, our talents, our skills, how can that be used for the purposes of your glory and your kingdom? How can our time be better used? How can our stuff be put to use for your purposes so that we can not only be drawn closer to you, but that others might become a part of the story as well? So God, we are grateful for your patience and pray that you would give us peace as we have this conversation privately now with you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Amen.